Hello and welcome to the Sober Bliss Podcast with me, Gail, and my amazing guest. I finally quit drinking for good in March of 2018, and one of the things that helped me was connecting with people on the same journey as me, hearing their stories and finding inspiration. No matter where you are on your journey to sobriety, I hope you enjoy listening to these stories and hope they bring you inspiration, joy and light so you can find your own sober bliss. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Sober Bliss Meets with me, Gail, where I talk to fabulous sober people on this journey with me and today I'm really excited because I've got the wonderful Victoria and Lucy all the way from Australia and you may know them from uh, their fabulous podcast Sober Awkward. Hi Victoria, hi Lucy, thank you so much for joining me, it's lovely to have you. Thank you Gail, lovely to see you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Oh, my pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this um, because I listen to your podcast and it's just so relatable and so down to earth and normal, which is what I really, really like because we think, I don't know about you, um, maybe you can chip in, um, like we think when we are going to stop drinking or when we are in the process of stopping drinking or even a little bit sober, we think that we are a bit weird we think there's something wrong with us and it's just so reassuring to know that actually we're not alone and there are millions probably of people who are exactly like us and going through exactly the same thing has that been your experience your worry or feeling before you stopped drinking Victoria do you want to go first um well, the reason we started the podcast, I think, is, was exactly that reason. Mm. We were both struggling on our own for far too long, trying to give up and start and stop and all of these things where we felt, felt very alone in our sobrieties early on. And, you know, it can feel very isolating when you don't know that there's a whole community out there. I didn't know for a very long time that there was even this sober curious thing going on or that I fitted um, into this vast, you know, sober curious spectrum. Um, so yeah, that's why we really created the podcast is so people didn't feel that and to know that, look, there are other women, there are other people out there who have had exactly the same experience of you, as you and have suffered with anxiety and, and alcohol related illness and mental health issues and it's actually a very very common problem that many many people suffer with behind closed doors yeah. and yeah you've hit the nail on the head that's exactly our reason that is exactly our purpose is is to resonate with people so they don't feel alone I think Lucy would say the same yeah I yeah of course I always say exactly the same as you Vic but I just try and yeah, say I've trained her well <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, it's, a, it's like a more personal experience for me because I had tried to give up so many times and the one time I succeeded was when I found a sober friend and that was Vic so mm -hmm. for me that was life-changing so to be able to say to other people hey look we're in the same boat as you there's lots of people out there let's all connect with one another um, was so important because it was my my lifesaver really and to be able to do it with Vic the person who was there who helped me through from day one yeah. um it's been great to be able to help other people um, but also it's a very personal thing because it, it is it came so soon after I started my sober journey as well mm, yeah oh you mean the Sober Awkward podcast kind of was created quite early on in your journey Lucy yeah, it was created from my journey, really. Yeah. I, I met Vic um, and I got sober three days later and I we became close friends and talked non-stop about the wonders and weirdness of sobriety. And it just seemed um, it was such a powerful tool for me, having a friend, having somebody yeah. to talk to, somebody to normalise it. And, you know, you talk about, you know, people feeling weird. You do feel weird. Mm. You feel out place you're off the mainstream um and just to have somebody to say yeah I did that 
Um, and sometimes even to have a laugh at it or a cry at it, which is what we have done many times in the past, uh, was what saved me. And then all we did was we started recording our chats and that was how really how Sober Awkward came about. I make it sound it much e make it sound easier um, than it was. We've had a lot of help with the recording and things, but essentially they are just two people on a sober journey talking about their experiences in the hope that we might help a few other people. Yeah. Oh yeah, you definitely do. Um, a lot of people in my other group and on my membership, they always say, oh, have you heard the latest podcast from Lucy and Victoria? I've got um, a friend in New Zealand actually who regularly walks along the beach listening to you both. Um, so thank you for doing the podcast for me and yeah, for you and for everybody else it's just so lovely we actually we just love doing that podcast because it for us it's kind of like how we used to feel about going to the pub yeah we get excited about it because we get to mingle and we're all English and Alan who is our who owns the recording studio we sort of roped him in quite early on and you know he's just an English bloke as well and we live in Australia so you know, going into the recording studio for us is like sitting around by a cosy fire in an English pub and chatting about life and what's oh. going on with each of us. So it's actually a really cosy feel when we when we get together like that. It's, it is reminiscent of our past a little bit because, you know, we don't have that many English friends here. And it is quite, you know, we, we do reminisce about pub, you know, the smells of pubs and all of those things, those triggery things. But yeah, it's a nice environment to record in and we and it enables us to be very honest and open about our sobriety and about our lives in general because yeah. we have that sort of camaraderie within that room. I think if it was anywhere else or we had to go to a you know a posh recording studio in the city or something, we probably wouldn't feel so relaxed. But because it's just us in this tiny space, we sort of feel like we're just a room full of mates and we can talk about what we want. So it definitely makes us a bit probably sometimes a bit too too uh, revolting and honest and brutal <laughs> at times but I guess that's what people like about it yeah definitely there's no point in kind of hiding things because it is the the nitty-gritty the you know the stuff that's not talked about that people want to talk about um because yeah sobriety is the best thing ever for me definitely and I'm sure you'll agree it's the best thing that we've ever done but it hasn't been easy uh, and there are things about living the alcohol-free life that are not great at all and I think it's those things that we we need to share we need to be honest about so that somebody on the journey doesn't think oh well she said it's fine it's great and then this happened like what am I, am I supposed to do like when this happens so the honesty and the openness I think is very very important um, and you've both got such a great sense of humor as well and I think we need a sense of humor when we're not drinking sometimes <laughs> especially I think we need to get kids <laughs> Yeah, we, we, it tends to be a little bit too toilet-based, our humour, but I think that's an <laughs> We just can't help ourselves. We just go straight to the lowest common denominator, and that's generally what makes us both laugh. So, unfortunately, if you're going to listen, you're going to get a lot of bottom and uh, toilet-based humour. <laughs> I think it's about saying that you can be stupid and silly in sobriety. Yeah. You don't have to lose all of that. Vic and I have discovered there's lots of things about ourselves that we thought were things that came with our drinking behaviour, like we were oversharers, we're pretty stupid, we're silly, we say crazy things, we do crazy things, we blame that all on our drinking, but it turns out that in sobriety, <laughs> when you are with somebody um, who is like you and you can talk about it and be open, it does bring out that more fun side of you. If you're stuck on your own in sobriety, you just feel mm. so lost. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about it before that you feel like everything's been stripped away, your entire personality. You don't know what you feel. You don't know what you want to do. You don't know what you like anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it takes being with other sober people um, to be able to kind of pull that out of you and go, okay, I can still have a really good belly laugh here, even though I yeah. haven't had a drop of alcohol. And we have a lot of people who write in about the podcast saying it's made them laugh so mm. hard and it's made them cry. And mm. I think it's really nice to help people to get their emotions out in sobriety because we're all a bit stiff and worried and, you know, you know white knuckling it through like kind yeah. of relax and enjoy and then this wonderful person will come out and it's about sort of showing people that we're doing that with each other and they can do it too mm. yeah yeah and I was going to say my my face I don't ever remember when I was a drinker my face ever hurting from smiling <laughs> and nowadays I get that quite a lot like I, yeah. I feel like my face hurts from laughing so much and I guess when I was wasted I could never remember you know one yeah. moment from the next so I wasn't conscious of my jaw aching from laughing so much but I, I, it's a different sense of joy isn't it sobriety like you get to mm. to witness your failures and your wins, which can mean it's a bit of an emotional journey, but at the same time, it all levels out into a much more content life, which, which is something we all have to accept. You know, the ups and downs have disappeared into our past and we're, we're capable of living on this like one level content line, which is a much more satisfying way to live. But it doesn't mean to say we're perfect. I mean, something we talk about a lot is like, look, we still fuck up sometimes. We're still stupid. We still get upset and we still get angry. And, you know, I shout too much at my children and all these other things that go on in our lives. But we are happier. And that's that's a really important point is that we are genuinely much, much happier than we were. And it's nice to wake up knowing that the reason your face aches is from laughter not from falling flat on your face on the pavement outside the pub or down a few flights of stairs you don't know what it was really do you yeah the cut on my chin with gail from the from the misplaced swan dive i used to do in a dodgy nightclub in brighton every friday night so there's always a there's a different type of aching <laughs> Yeah, oh god. Yeah, I remember waking up with like weird injuries that I couldn't quite remember how how I got them. Um, like a massive bruise on my back once. It's like how on earth did that happen? But yeah, when when we see something cut or we remember something, then we know exactly how it got there, um, which is important. And I do like what you said about the chaos being gone and everything's just on a level playing field now um yeah we have ups and downs because it's life obviously but I thought that life was going to be really boring when I stopped drinking because I wouldn't be you know this cool mom who had parties every night and the music was blasting and like the kids could do what they wanted but actually, I really like the fact that sometimes nothing happens. I really like it that we've got boundaries. And I really like the calm and the quietness. And I don't know about you, but that's not boring at all. I thought it would just be awful to have a quiet house. But actually, it's really, really nice to have a quiet house. Whereas before, there was a lot of chaos and unpredictability about life in general do you find that um, I I do I certainly find it I know Vic does as well but Vic's got three young children yeah <laughs> so she probably lives her life in a lot of chaos still anyway but I'm sure it's more calm controlled chaos without mm. the alcohol I, there's a sense of having done it already for so many years, having lived my life that way with alcohol and with chaos, which at times I actually quite enjoyed when I was younger. I loved the chaos and the fun that alcohol brought and the laughs we would have the following morning. Um, I'm a mother of teenager and I, teenagers and I drunk through most of their mm. childhood. Um, and I know what you mean when you say, you know, you're not the fun mum and you're not the mum who is letting them have alcoholic drinks in the house and stay up late and turn up the music loud. I know a lot of my 
daughters, um, friends, mums do allow that. And I do sometimes worry that I'm the boring mum. But I know for a fact that they prefer me to be at home on the couch knitting when they get in at the end of the evening. Then what used to happen, which was I would be out and they would stay up waiting for me because they Mm. were worried about what time I get in, if I got in at all and what kind of injury I'd done to myself. So, yeah, there's a lot of a lot. It's a lot more calm. It's a lot better for the kids. And I also think there's a very fine line between calmness and boredom. I'm going to put my hand up here and say that sometimes sobriety can feel extremely boring, Mm. Um, but it's about turning that around and reframing it and doing something creative with that time um, or just um, as Vic always says her saying is play that tape forward and think okay I'm bored but if I were to pick up a drink what will happen yeah. not good things in our case no it's yeah. not as simple as it just being boring isn't it because if we weren't boring we would be drunk and that leads to all other repercussions that are unhealthy for us and for our families mm. I think boring has a very bad name doesn't it it's like we need to redefine that word. Um, And for me, being boring is the best thing that's ever happened to me. It means I'm stable and it means I'm clear-headed and it means I'm capable of getting up and taking my children to the park rather than lying in bed feeling like I want to die of anxiety. Mm. I mean, boring is is overrated. For me, you know, embracing boring is a wonderful thing. But of course, there are moments for all of us where you know, as Lucy says, we dip into the past and we have fantasies about alcohol where we thought we were fun and we thought we were this and that. And we miss those crazy times sometimes. But as Lucy said, you know, we did that for 25 years. It it wasn't possible for it to go on anymore because it was affecting our lives and it was affecting our mental health. It just wasn't a possibility. And I do say play the tape forward. That is one of my favourite sobriety sayings is, you know, even when you do feel boring, you know, what's more boring than sitting in a pub and repeating the same story and being with the same people and, and doing the same things every weekend and pouring a poisonous substance down your throat day in, day out. I mean, there's nothing more boring than that. So I always have a, you know, a rebuttal if somebody calls me boring because, you know, I question why they're asking me that or why they're, you know, pushing that on me because usually, of course, it's because they have their own issue with alcohol that that they are, you know, unsure of and probably want to know some answers. But yeah, I don't think of boring so much as being a bad thing. I think being boring is is something that I love and I look forward to being more boring as I age. Like I can't wait to not have to do the parenting things that I do at the moment and, you know, act like the perfect mom and do all these other things that I actually really do find boring. (laughs) Quite honestly, (laughs) don't tell anyone. But I look forward to doing more, you know, stuff that I would have found mundane in my past. And that's all it is. It's my, it's our past that have rewired our brain into thinking what boring is. And it's Mm. hard for us to step outside of that and go, actually, that's not boring. That's cool that you do pottery now. It's cool that you're able to go and do exercise and do all these creative things that you've never done before. And it's not boring. It's just called living. And it's a very, very different thing. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of things have you started to do differently? Well, first of all, can I just ask like where you are on your journey? And I know people say it's a journey and it is. Um, so Victoria, how many um, years, months are you alcohol free now? I'm going to be four years on the 10th of March. Wow. Yep, so, and I was... I started questioning my alcohol consumption after having my first child. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the shame and guilt of being a hungover parent infiltrated my hangovers and, and made me feel mentally unwell. And I tried to combine those two lives for, for far too long, for about four years. Yeah. And then I really started questioning even more after getting pissed six weeks after my second child was born. And that's when I decided to reach out for professional support. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well done. That's amazing. Just so you've asked that the wrong way around, because what usually happens is I say how long I've been sober for, and then Vic comes on and trumps me. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Lucy, how long have you been sober for then? 
I'm always so proud of how long I've been sober, but Vic got there way before me. <laughs> yes, it's a win. <laughs> no, I've been sober for a year and five months. Um, Gosh, is it yeah. a year and five months already? Wow. Yes, it is. I feel like yes. you, I actually just looked at my app. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you see, I never will, like, I never will catch up with you. It gives you so much pleasure. <laughs> Unless I fall off the wagon, then you'll then you can then you'll get one up. I'll, I'll take no pleasure in that. <laughs> no, fair enough. Neither would I. Don't do it. I'll be a disaster. What would happen to the podcast? Yeah, it'd be a good story. <laughs> <laughs> the night Vic fell off the wagon. Oh yeah. God, don't giving me the fear. <laughs> Do you count the days, ladies, or did you in the beginning? I have an I have an app, and Lucy, we both have an app that's an counted app. the days from the day that I stopped. Definitely, yeah. I do like checking in on that. And also, if it gets to a big number, it's an excuse to go and have a massage and a facial or something, isn't it? Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's cake. a thousand days. Oh, yeah. it's a thousand and twenty-five days. Yeah, it's an excuse to go and get a big slice of chocolate brownie for me. That's Definitely. for sure. Any, yeah. I celebrate yeah. any wins. Yeah, and any even number on the app that goes yeah. out and gets the massage, yeah, basically. <laughs> and they yeah. say being sober is cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and why not to celebrating? I do think it's important um, to celebrate any and every milestone um, as we go along because it's not easy. Um, and I do think that often we start this journey with a sense of shame and guilt and regret. So anything that we can do to build ourselves up and make ourselves feel better for what we are doing, I think is a, a really good thing. So apart from facials and massages, um, how do you celebrate your alcohol-free lifestyle? Well, I mean, I, I just sort of following on from what we were saying about kids thinking that we're boring because we're sober mums. Um, I had my year and it was, oh, it was a great um, sort of build up to it. I was so excited. I'd done a year sober. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And um, on the morning of my um, day, my, my year sober, your soberversary, is that what it's called? Soberversary? Yeah. 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 Uh, my daughters have brought me a massive bunch of flowers Oh. And um, a, the day before, my elder daughter, who works at a restaurant, had prepared a full picnic. She picked me up as a complete surprise. She prepared a picnic, which she took me to this really beautiful remote spot with a beautiful view with two, two alcohol-free lagers in the picnic. She was 17 at the time. Now, that oh. just shows you how how grateful your your kids are that you've got sober and and that above anything else they were so proud of me yeah. um so I think that was the best way to celebrate and it just meant so much to me that it meant so much to them that mm. they had to show me in that way so I think that my every year um, the 17th of September is going to be a really special day for me perhaps the most special of the year yeah oh that's so lovely, Lucy. Um, and do you think that your kids, maybe a difficult question, do you think that your kids um, will kind of, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like my kids, for example, one of them was quite little. <laughs> no, no, because I do think that mine in particular have been affected a lot um but do you think that they will get to the point where for them being sober being alcohol free is just normal as opposed to like when I was growing up and I was a kid um it just it people always drank it was just what they did do you think now or as we get into the future it'll be the opposite we talk about it a lot Vic and I because of my teens and her young ones and mine having seen me drink and hers will probably never see her drink mm. our house is a alcohol-free house and my teens have never once complained about that it is just the way it is they know that they don't uh, drink in front of me and if we go out for a meal and my oldest is 18 
she will ask me if it's okay to have a glass of wine. Mm. It's a perfectly natural thing for us now. And I've only been sober for a year and five mm. months. And the rest of the time they've seen me as a complete pisshead. So yes, I do believe that having stopped drinking has really changed their mm. drinking habits and the way that they drink about alcohol. But I know for Vic, it'd be a very different story. Yeah, I think um, for me, I feel like because I'm from a big drinking family that I felt like I never really had a choice whether to drink or not. I think it was the only way, of course, that I knew how to fit in and the only way I felt accepted by my peers. So, of course, that's exactly the route that I took. I feel like by me not drinking now, my children are still very young and will never have seen me drunk. I mean, my son was four, my eldest child was four when I gave up drinking. So I just think they will never know me as a drinker. And therefore I hope they will have a choice and they will be able to drink or not drink and know that whatever their choice, hopefully it will be the latter, <laughs> that, you know, it, it wasn't my influence upon them and therefore we can talk about it and have a conversation over it rather than it be them, you know, wanting to feel love from me, which I guess it does come down to, I know it sounds cheesy, but the nitty gritty with kids and alcohol is if, if they are following you and if their squishy little brain is having alcohol normalised in the house on a day-to-day -day basis, of mm. course, they're going to see that if they do the things that you do, you are going to love them more. And it's, yeah, it's really basic um, emotions, but I hope that my children will feel love from me and understand outside of alcohol that, that, that they don't need to do that to be accepted. And that's going to be huge. And I'm hoping that's going to change. You know, I'm saying hope. You'll need to check in with me in 18 years to see if they've all gone off the rails and are all like drug addicts in rehab and all of that sort of thing. So I have to say hope, this is my plan, that by giving up drinking, I'm giving their, them more of an opportunity to not drink. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But I just think actually just having no alcohol in the house, as Lucy says, I think is a really, really good start for any family it's a bit of a tricky one at the moment because they are starting to ask me because obviously this is what I do now like I have my website and I'm doing everything I do is related to alcohol it's like a new addiction in another form yeah. so they do ask me about it they say mum when did you give up drinking and what is sober and why do some people's parents drinks and you don't and 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 my son was saying that my husband still drinks he has a couple of beers every now and again like He's a normal drinker that can stop at two, never a problem drinker. And my son was saying, you know, maybe I'll just have one or two like dad. And I just thought, well, there you go. Like even that amount, he's already planning that he's going to have one or two drinks when he's older. Mm -hmm. And I do think eventually if I can, you know, nudge my, my husband into line a little bit more that our house will be an alcohol free house, um, which, which does sound quite staunch. But also, I feel like it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do for the kids. And it's the right thing to do for their mental health yeah. in the future and in the long term. So, you know, me and Lucy will probably, people probably think we're really strict and weird and sober and odd. But I'd rather be weird and sober and odd than have children that are having issues with booze. Yeah, absolutely. There is, there's enough places in the world, literally, when they step outside the door, put the radio on, the TV on, anything where they are exposed to alcohol. In a way, it's quite nice to have a safe haven mm. in your house yeah. where there yeah. is no alcohol because it's the only place in the world that you can get away from it is if you choose yeah. not to have it in your home. Yeah. My life was fueled by my parents' alcohol from a very young age. You know, I was stealing it out of the garage. It was piled up in the fridge. It was in an ice bucket on the counter. It was everywhere. You know, we spent our summer holidays getting the car over to France, filling her up, you know, and the exhaust pipe used to drag along the road as we came off the Channel Ferry because we had it piled up with as much alcohol, you know, when you did the booze runs to France. So, yeah, I think taking that away, you know, you can't control what happens outside the door and you have to hope that they make the right decisions and that, that your influence on them by the time they've walked out the front gate is good enough for them to make those choices. Mm. But... I think it is a good thing to try and keep it at a minimum and, and get them to understand the, you know, 
the negatives about alcohol and what it does and and teach them how to be their authentic self. So I remember saying to my son the other day when he was talking about this and the two beers and said, I just said to him, like, you are enough without alcohol. And I I know that sounds difficult to understand. And he's only young. That's what it's about. It's about trying to teach them that they are enough without having this toxic substance in their body and they're capable of socializing. And it's about changing that mindset that we have to drink to have fun or go out or socialize or go to a wake or all of these things. It's about teaching them that there is another way and and how you do that is a start is to perhaps not have any alcohol in the house because you're not normalizing it then. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's because before we ever had a drink, we could do all of those things without alcohol. It was only once we started drinking, then we thought, oh, perhaps I can't do these things without alcohol. Um, Because that's what, well, the whole marketing, I don't really want to get into that today, but it is pushed on us and forced on us. And we are led to believe that we're not normal if we're not drinking which is um completely the opposite I feel more normal now (laughs) than I ever did whatever that means (laughs) I definitely wasn't normal when I was drinking I was abnormal (laughs) (laughs) yeah so about the conversations like what you said before Victoria about talking to our children um I do think it's so important and I do think that's one of the reasons why your podcast is so helpful because it encourages us to have the conversation around drinking and and alcohol and our own issues because for me that was one of the things that kept me stuck I suppose for so long I was worried about it I would think about it I would google it a lot look at all the podcasts but I never really had the conversation because it was all so stigmatized and and hush hush um and being scared I suppose of admitting that I had a problem because of what other people would think um has that been your experience and how has having the conversation helped who wants to go first um, well, for me, the, the, the conversation, as I mentioned at the beginning of this chat, was really the, the, the winning component. Mm-hmm. The reason why this attempt out of goodness knows how many attempts had worked. Um, the longest I'd given up previous to this time was three months. Um, I spent the first two months of that in a hospital where I was unable to drink. So that kind of takes mm-hmm. away um some of that time because I was forced not to drink but I um I did it alone completely alone and um, I didn't have anyone to have the conversation with like you mentioned I looked up things on Google and I found some articles I hadn't discovered any online groups or any chat spaces or any in-person social groups I hadn't had the guts to join anything even if I could find it so it had been a very half-hearted search so um and then when it came to the end of the three months I started drinking again just as heavily as I as I was it hadn't slowed me down at all and in fact I think that's the peril of giving up sometimes you actually go back to it even harder so really Yes, it was great that I'd managed to give up for a short period of time, but it hadn't really helped me at all in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I actually connected with Vic and, um, and and her sober group and we would go and meet up and I was talking to all these different people about their own experiences. Um, and certainly my conversations with Vic, because we were just so similar in our drinking and in our past lives and in everything we'd done and in the way we thought about it all, in the way that we could laugh at ourselves that was probably really one of the key things to my sobriety was having someone who could laugh about the whole damn mess which was the last 25 years Mm. of desperately trying to give up drinking and making a total hash of it every time because I was desperate and I was upset and I didn't know what to do next 
but just to, to make it a little bit more lighthearted. I was, it gave me the space that I needed to breathe and it gave mm. me the space that I needed to move for, forward and to actually finally give up properly. The conversation is everything. Yeah. Without that, it is extremely difficult to give up. Mm. Yeah. And for us, our conversations always, you know, you really have done some crazy shit. Like Lucy's stories made me feel not so alone. So that it, even in just one person, I was like, oh, my God, I don't feel so bad now because her stories are so much worse than mine. We, I could shift the blame over to her and go, actually, every story she's, to she's told, you know, she always had one up on me, which felt really good. <laughs> Stories are always a lot worse and always more involved, more injuries. One of my favourite ones of Lucy's, I mean, she just suddenly comes up with them in the podcast and I, I can't imagine anything worse could have happened. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I got hit by a car and told the. That was my favourite one. Can you tell that one, Lucy? Oh, yes, when I was over in Tenerife and I was with my mate and I got, I got run over by a car and rolled over the bonnet and landed on all fours on the other side. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just stood up and told the driver to fuck off. Sorry, I hope I'm okay to swear in this, yeah. in this podcast. But, um, yeah, Victor found that particularly amusing. But it's funny you, you should say it, Vic, because I always find Vic's stories absolutely hilarious and often think she's got one up on me. Like yeah, that's true. Be blown off it's by like... a firework or something yeah. like that. Oh, so yeah. I think we, kind of, we make each other feel better with, with our yeah. with kindred spirits in our craziness. Um, and I guess that one of us will sort of have a confessional and tell this story that... We, we don't often tell people. And instead of, um, you know, the other person looking at us in complete horror, we go, oh, that's nothing. Let yeah. me tell you about the time I did this. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. We did a post, we did a podcast where we had a bit a little section called The Shame Shed. Mm -hmm. And I just put a post on my Facebook group to say to the women, look, we're going to do this podcast about all the terrible things we've done. Yeah. What are yours? And I thought the post would just be a couple of people going, oh, I got a bit, you know, I fell over or, you know, I fell down some stairs or I did this or had this one night stand. But it ended up being this huge, long stream of fascinating comments and stories from people. And it was extremely liberating. All of us on there telling our terrible tales of misadventure and misdemeanors it was an absolutely fascinating read because we worked out you know we're all the same yeah. we've all been there we've all done stupid things there doesn't need to be any shame about it I mean if it was something really extreme it still doesn't even matter because those stories don't represent us as people and that's what I felt mm. like after reading is there was a sense of freedom among the group because look we are here we're all together we were all men we're all fucked up but look at us now we're trying to do better and we're trying to do something with our lives and isn't that an incredible thing you know that we're all there and we've all got these crazy stories yet we can recognize it and we can share it and we don't have to feel shame about it because that is not who we are our drunken selves are a kind of mad lunatic version of us you know we're not those people anymore so there's no need to feel shame and regret we had a drug pumping around in our body that was making us act out and we are not alcohol we are sober now and, and we represent that in a different way and we represent ourselves in a different way and it's much more normal and it can be perceived as boring but fuck everybody else yeah exactly. <laughs> honestly <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I just think it helps so much to get these kind of things out as you say shame only exists I think through through silence and suffering but when we can yeah talk about whatever it might be that we've done or that's happened then it kind of shines a light on that shame and it makes it less so eventually we can let go of it completely and we can move forward in our boring sober lives um yeah. without the shame holding us back I think um and you talked about your your Facebook group your community there um can you just tell the listeners I'm sure they know already but a little bit about your community because you've got an in-person one and an online one as well haven't you is that right 
Yes, yeah, so we, um, well, I started writing my blog the day I gave up drinking. I started to write a book, actually. Um, I started to write a diary of, of, I felt like the only person in the world, the only binge drinking parent who would ever quit alcohol. And I felt like that for about 18 months until I found this whole sober curious community. Mm. And I, so I started writing every day about my experiences, about how weird it was being this only person in the whole world that didn't drink. And that turned into a book, which has turned into, you know, my blog and on my Facebook group and meeting Lucy and on all of our online events and all that sort of thing. So it's just gone one thing led to another. And I think this year there's going to be a lot more happening for Lucy and I. We're really excited. We've got some projects that we're that we're working on, just all ways of of getting people together and and getting people to feel less isolated in their sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we do do meetups here in Australia, which is the Drunk Mummy Sober Mummy meetups. And my my blog is Drunk Mummy Sober Mummy. And that's the Facebook group as well. Yeah, Um, there are loads of ways of, you know, it's it's transforming on a day to day basis of how we connect and how we communicate in the world. And me and Lucy are kind of trying to keep up with each new uh, new kind of system and new app and new this and that. So we'll see how that all goes. (laughs) We're not very tech savvy, so. So, yeah, we'll try and keep up to date with it all to make sure that we've got all bases covered. And wherever you go, you've got an opportunity to meet someone who is going through the same thing as you, whether it's online or in person. Mm, yeah. I think we're being guided quite a lot by our podcast listeners. Bear in mind, we started the podcast thinking, oh, we're just going to put record our chats and put them out there, thinking we might have one or two people listening. But we've got quite a nice worldwide audience now. Yeah. So we might get a message from someone who's traveling across Canada in a camper van um, or someone in Nebraska. And sometimes we have to look up on a map and go, oh, where's that? (laughs) And it turns out like two people have contacted us and they're quite near to one another. And it's like, and they're both saying, oh God, I really, I feel so alone. It's been so great Mm. speaking. Wouldn't it be so great if those two people could meet up and just to, and we often have people saying, how lucky we are to have each other and how they wish that they had somebody uh, like I have Vic and Vic has me. And we want to make that possible for people um, by getting people to communicate more and more. And so that's why Vic's group and her meetups are just so helpful. Mm. Um, They, you know, I, I will never forget what they did for me. And I know they can do the same for other people. Yeah. 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 We put that in the show notes. Um, the the Facebook group uh, and your blog as well, Victoria, so people can read that. Perfect. Um, So if anybody's listening and they're thinking, oh, I really like the sound of this or gosh, I'm really struggling. I don't know what to do next. What advice would you give to that person? Well, I think the first, of course, our advice is always gonna be listen to Sober Awkward from from the beginning. Because it is like a little toolbox, our our podcast, because each episode is based around something we both experienced at different stages in our sobriety. You know, it starts off with the realisation that alcohol isn't your mate. And then we move on to your first sober social and what it's like being in a pandemic sober. And it just moves on with each topic and, and how you deal with it and how we dealt with it. You know, we don't tell people on our podcast what to do. All we do is tell our stories and what we did. You know, it's up to people to find their own different sorts of support and therapy or AA or whatever they choose. We never we never specify what you should do, but we always say try and get professional support. And I think that would be what I would say to somebody that was first stepping out, questioning their alcohol intake, even if they haven't stopped, would be to, you know, go to your GP first. During the pandemic, there's a... A mental health plan that you can get I think in Australia anyway it's 23 um, sessions with a therapist use oh, wow. all of that free stuff that you can get your hands on mm-hmm. um, 
because that is really a good opportunity to to tell your doctor what is going on with you because it is a, an issue to discuss with a doctor it's not something you're just going to go okay I'm going to stop drinking and everything's going to be fine it won't work I think for me and I know for a lot of people I had to dig down into the roots of why I drank in the first place yeah. and I could never have unpacked the stuff that I know now without that therapy that I had Mm. because I was able to understand you know when I'm talking about love area and love and saying you know that I didn't feel that growing up because alcohol was everywhere and I felt everyone was preoccupied with that um it took therapy for me to understand those reasons and to unpack and unravel almost everything that had gone on in my life and I was able to lay it all down and pick the bits out that I still wanted to keep and take away the stuff that was toxic to my life and it takes a professional to guide you through that so definitely for me my best advice is to get the help you so are worthy of Mm -hmm. and don't worry that if you think your drinking isn't bad enough to deserve professional support that is a message that we drum in in every episode is look Lots of people don't reach out because they feel like their problem isn't bad enough or extreme enough. Mm -hmm. Just because you're not passed out on a park bench with a bottle of vodka, it doesn't mean to say you're not worthy of help. You are. And no matter how big or small your problem is, any problem is deserving of intervention. And if you get help, it means it will ripple through your family for generations to come. You can change the legacy of a lifetime and and be this huge, brilliant influence rather than being someone hiding in your bedroom with a hangover. So yeah, definitely professional support that you most certainly do deserve. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Thanks, Victoria. Uh, Lucy, what advice would you give? Well, I would say the same as Vic about going to get professional support. Mm. However, that didn't work for me. Um, I saw, I saw, I could probably about fifteen to twenty professionals, and none of them were able to tap in and give me the help that I needed. Um, and eventually, I found the support by just meeting Vic in a cafe. So, I think <laughs> my advice is: yes, go to your GP definitely as a starting point. But never give up trying to give up Mm. and keep trying different things because it might surprise you the one that Mm. actually works. I'm a introvert. I very rarely go out of my house and I don't enjoy socialising. So for me, having found a person and a social group that that was my saviour was the last thing I was going to go looking for. Um, So just don't give up. If you've tried loads of times and it hasn't worked, don't do what I did, which was I decided I was just going to drink myself to death because there was no way out of it. Keep trying different things, even things that are outside your comfort zone. And even if you only manage to give up for two days, that's two days when you haven't had a drink. Mm. Keep going, keep trying because you will get there. Yeah. Yeah, this is the podcast. Yeah. I mean, the reason we made that podcast and called it Sober Awkward is because being sober and those first stages, it is one of the most awkward things you will ever experience. I describe it as the bright light shining on you whenever you're out. Everything feels raw, everything feels new, and it is extremely overwhelming. But you it does get easier and you just have to keep on at it, keep like you know, climbing up that hill mm. because it is so bloody satisfying when you get to the top and you see the view from there because there's nothing better than being clear-headed and your brain working again. I mean, that sounds crazy, but Lucy would agree. I know like our brains work now. Our brains have been pretty much, you know, dead for like the last 25 years. They've just been pickled in formaldehyde and we've just been sort of bumbling through life. God knows how we survived. But now we, you know, we're really productive. Like I parent and then I do a blog post and then I go for a walk and I we are functional humans now whereas we weren't before and I'm not saying that in a smug way to go oh look at me now like I'm just saying it as like it is a happier life it is something that is going to make you feel better mentally and physically so it is worth sticking at it and doing all those things going to therapy and trying all these different things until you find what works because it is so worthwhile yeah absolutely it is yeah you're right I mean I sometimes wonder how on earth I got anything done 
when I was drinking because now I'm just like you gosh yeah I do all of this and it's normal to do all of these things but before sometimes you could hardly even get out of bed so I'm quite surprised that um that my children are still alive at some time we talked about this in our last podcast which was about anxiety mm. um we were very shocked like you just reminded me there about just staying in bed all day Lucy and I were quite shocked that throughout our lives we had days booked out in our diaries for mental health well mental illness basically mm. we would you know say, right, I can't go out on Sunday because I'm going to the pub on Saturday night and I know I'm going to overdo it. So therefore yeah. I'm going to block a whole day out to feel like shit. Yeah. And to yeah. me now that just seems like total madness. Mm. Yeah. Like I knew that, that I was going to do that to myself. So I'd block a day out to be in bed and then I would repeat that behavior the following weekend. Mm. And now the relief of not having to feel that way anymore is, is really spectacular. Like that is the biggest thing in sobriety is not to have hangovers and feel yeah. that, that horrible, tumultuous, tormented brain like we had then. You know, mm. it's, it's clear the fog is lifted. Absolutely. It has. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, anything you want to say to our lovely listeners before we go? Listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take it one step at a time, right from the first episode all the way through. Yeah. No, I'm, and I only say that because, like Vic said earlier, we have kind of created it as a kind of toolbox. So if there is anyone out there who's feeling awkward about drink, mm. drink, you know, giving up and how they're going to manage this, this crazy thing called life as a sober person. Um, it's really good to, to just listen to us. And also we do recommend a lot of other resources on the podcast. Mm. So just really find as many things around you to support you, get that GP support, get some sober books. There's some great stories out there. Vix yeah. is going to come out soon. I'm waiting for that. Yeah, one. hopefully. A Thousand Wasted Sundays, my book's going to be called. So it's with the editor. You never know. Give me a year. Hopefully that'll be out there. Still got some, I've still got a few terrible tales to add. (laughs) (laughs) The The other thing I was going to say to your listeners, Gail, is just a really good tip, which is something I did early on, which I've mentioned before in our podcast is, is if you are struggling and you don't know what to do, one thing I did very early on was to make an Instagram account specifically for sober people Mm. so (coughs) excuse me I just followed sober people on Instagram it was a private account I made my my name which was at drunk mummy sober mummy if you want to follow me and then I just followed thousands of sober people so whenever I felt lost or alone or awkward I could just pop on there and have a look and get some inspiration whether it's a quote a story a photo or whatever it was a huge help to me and it still is is I know we moan about the internet and social media but for sober people it can be a really really helpful tool especially these groups it's like online 24 7 support at your fingertips so really do take advantage of that yeah yeah brilliant thank you thank you so much for coming both of you I really enjoyed it thank you thank you Gail nice to meet you thank you for having us on You're welcome.